Listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. This morning's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 1. Um, if you're using the Blue Pew Bibles, it's page 836. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 15 of Mark 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us, uh, that you would build us up, that you would convict us, that you would change us, and ultimately reveal your Son by it. We pray, Lord, that your Spirit would work this morning along with the preaching of your word, that we would be changed. Lord, I know I have nothing to say here except that your Spirit would work alongside what I say. So I pray, Lord, that you would minister to us this morning, that you would change us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, within the first month of our living in Fort Worth, after Jeanette and I had gotten married, we had probably, it was one of the stormiest, rainiest months that we had had in quite a while. It wasn't quite as bad as this past June where it was raining every day, but it was still pretty bad. And I remember this distinctly because this was the first time that Jeanette had ever heard the weather sirens go off. And so she called me one day from work 
And, and she's with kids. She was nannying kids. So that made her that much more nervous about the situation. She said, well, what do we need to do? Do we need to take cover? Well, what's, what's the next step here? How do, we, how do we deal with this? What do I do? And on and on, because she had heard these weather sirens. And, and I had to tell her that these were just severe weather sirens. And let me explain what, what the difference is. It, it was like this for me, too, when I moved here. The first time I heard those sirens, I panicked quite a bit too. I thought, is there, is there a tornado here? Do we need to take cover immediately? And the reason was, is that I didn't know that there was a difference between when the sirens go off in Fort Worth and when the sirens go off in Kansas City. There's a big difference between sirens in the Midwest and sirens in Texas. And so in Kansas City, Growing up in the Midwest, you hear the sirens going off. That means there's a tornado that has touched down. It's a tornado warning. It's in the area. Take cover immediately. Get there. Get out of the way. Get out of uh, being outside. Get to the basement. You've got to act immediately. You've got to respond right away, whereas it's not quite the same thing here. Severe weather, maybe, when they go off, you don't need to take cover right away, though. The first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark are like a tornado siren going off. And it's not a tornado siren that you'd hear around here. It's more of a Midwestern act immediately sort of siren. You've got to do something about it. You must respond. You can't hear these words and not respond. What we see in our passage this week is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. We're really just going to focus on verses 14 and 15 But we read 1 through 13 to get a little context here. These two short verses, though, 14 and 15, give us the announcement of something that, in the words of one commentator, is the definitive moment in history. The definitive moment in history. And just these two short verses here, they give us the content, the substance of Jesus' ministry. This is the proclamation that he made as he went around ministering in different cities. This is what he said. This is a basic summary of it, this definitive moment in history. And it comes here in the form of an announcement. He's making a proclamation here. And the announcement is that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Something pretty simple there. But as we'll see, though, this kingdom probably isn't what you or I would imagine it to be. When we hear the word kingdom, we probably think of some sort of political kingdom or some king ruling over a a country, a province, maybe just some sort of geographic area. But this kingdom, though, comes in a person. Again, not the way we think about kingdom. This kingdom comes in a person, and ultimately that person is Jesus. This is the way that God comes after His people to reconcile them to Himself. That's what the kingdom is. And Jesus' proclamation of this kingdom demands a response. You can't just ignore this message. This is something that requires a response on our part. And we'll look at this under three main headings. One, the expectation of the kingdom. Two, Jesus' announcement of the kingdom. And three, our response to the kingdom. So first, the expectation of the kingdom. We've got to try to understand a little bit of what a first century Jew would be experiencing at this time. I know that that's a difficult task. We're only given a few paragraphs here in Mark of what they may be thinking. 
But they have some sort of expectation here. Jesus' words don't come out of context here. What was this expectation? Most basically, it was the Jewish hope that God would restore the nation of Israel and be her king. That's basically what they were hoping for. And he would do this by ruling and reigning over the entire world. He would rule the world from his throne in such a way that it brought blessing to the Jews like they'd never experienced. This was what they were hoping for. This would be the climax of their history. Everything up to that point was leading to this. That God would rule and reign. So this was, this was the Jewish hope at that time. The problem, though, was how different things were in reality. They had this hope that God would pull through, that He would be faithful to His promises, but everything around them, though, looked hopeless. There were no signs around them that would make them think, yeah, God's about to pull through on His promise. Everything looked pretty hopeless. Think about this. If you're a Jew in Jesus' day, you have to go back at least 700 years to come to a point where you think that's the way things are supposed to be. 700 years prior, before they had gone into exile. Since that time, they had gone into exile. The temple, which was the the center of the religious life of the Jews, it it was the place where God's presence was to be found, had been destroyed. It had been defiled. They had been overrun by peoples from all different nations. And then at this point... When, uh, when Mark is writing this, the Roman Empire is in place. So it's a pretty desperate situation here. This hope that they had that God would reign as king and overthrow their enemies and ultimately make the world right is all that they had to cling to. And it was something that they had to hold to with real faith because there were no signs around them that it was coming anytime soon. You can read this in the prophets Jeremiah lamenting over these sorts of things. Isaiah, though, has, some, has more of a focus towards what's going to happen. There's a, there's a positive, hopeful note in Isaiah. Listen to just one instance of this. This is Isaiah 52.7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's what they were expecting. They couldn't wait to have somebody come into their area and proclaim that message that your God reigns. That's what they were hoping for. That's their expectation. Things would be made right at that point. Israel would be restored and they would enter into this new age. This is what everything had been driving towards. When He showed forth His dominion over the whole world, things would be made right. That was their expectation. Well, one of our favorite Christmas movies is A Christmas Story. This movie is shown on TBS 24 hours straight from 7 p.m. Christmas Eve till 7 p.m. Christmas Day. If you flipped on the TV on Christmas Day, you probably saw it. And you're probably familiar with this movie, but if you're not, it's a movie that's set in the 40s. It's about a nine-year-old boy named Ralphie, and it's all focused on his pursuit of the ultimate Christmas gift, a Red Ryder BB gun. Specifically, an official Red Ryder Carbine Action 200-shot range model air rifle (laughs) with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells time. 
And his life is completely consumed by this BB gun. It's literally from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. It's all about his pursuit of this BB gun. If he can just get this BB gun, his life will be made right. The whole movie is built on that expectation. What's going to happen? Is he going to get the BB gun? Of course, in the end, he does. The expectation of the Jews was God reigning. It drove their lives. It consumed everything that they did. Their hope was that God would make things right, that He would restore this nation. And we have some sort of expectation too. Our our, our situation isn't quite as different as we might think from the Jews at this time. We recognize also that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. We know things aren't right. And this can show up in all kinds of specific areas. One example would be the way that we long for justice. There's something innate in us that knows justice should be served. Whether it's the kid just getting beaten up on the playground or it's a former prime minister of Pakistan being assassinated. We know that there's something not right there and that justice should be served in either case. We even have an expectation of justice. We're dissatisfied when justice isn't served. Now, our situation isn't exactly the same because we're on the other side of the cross. We know this proclamation of Jesus. We know what's going to happen. We know that He'll go to the cross, that He'll rise from the dead, that He'll promise to return. But we still need to hear His proclamation this morning. We long for good news as well. That's the reason We need to hear this good news. We long for the message that things will be made right in the end, that this is not the way things will be in the end, that God will reign and that He's coming for His people. Well, it's in light of that expectation of a first century Jew that we need to hear Jesus' announcement here. Mark says in verse 14 that Jesus came proclaiming the good news from God. It's the gospel of God, the good news from God. We know right from the start here that Jesus is about to announce something big. He's bringing this message of good news to a people who couldn't wait to hear it, who needed to hear it. So what is his announcement? He says a couple things. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So let's take each of these in turn. First, the time is fulfilled. What does Jesus mean with a phrase like that. The time is fulfilled. Well, it means that the expectation, the hope, the promise of God's redemptive purposes are about to come to fruition. Everything that God had been doing, all of His redemptive work in the Old Testament had been leading up to this, to this time when the purposes would be fulfilled. The time had come for God's redemptive plans to be put into effect. That's really what Jesus is saying here. And this is a theme that you'll see all over the Old Testament here. There are a couple specific places. One, in Daniel 12, he says this this phrase, the time of the end, over and over again. And then in Isaiah, there are a number of places that help us out too. This time would come when a herald would bring this good news, just as we saw there in 52.7 that we read earlier. And Jesus is proclaiming that message of salvation. The good news that was predicted for hundreds of years prior 
All the expectation that the Jews had was now being proclaimed. The time was fulfilled. And Mark's phrase in verse 14 helps us out too. He says there that after John was arrested. So his point there is to say this ministry that we read about here at the beginning of the chapter is complete. And John had this this preparation uh, that he was doing. He was preparing the way for the Lord with this baptism of repentance. And his whole focus was to point to Christ. Somebody greater is coming. Somebody greater is coming. The Messiah, the King, is coming. Paul actually uses this language as well. In Galatians 4.4, he describes the Gospel this way, "...but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons." So Jesus is announcing that the fullness of time had come. The time is fulfilled. And as one commentator says, this announcement is the great turning point of history. That's how significant this is. This is promised by God Himself for the full revelation of His glory in a way that He hadn't yet done. So something brand new was happening here. The dawning of a new age like nothing before. Something new was happening. This great age of salvation and restoration that had been hoped for. The time is fulfilled. You see in that next sentence there that the new age is really the kingdom of God. So secondly, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. So what, what is this kingdom? What is this announcement that Jesus is making? And again, to, to even begin to talk about that is, is difficult. It's such a huge question to try and answer what is the kingdom. It's one of the biggest themes really of the whole Bible and even in the New Testament, specifically Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Over and over again we hear about the kingdom of God. And really what Mark is doing here is giving us this announcement, this, this summary statement, and then he's going to spend the rest of the book working it out. This is really what the kingdom of God is. So we just have to, to be very brief here with it. And we could just say, most basically, it's the rule and reign of God. But this is something different, though, than just saying that God is sovereign over His entire creation. Because there is a sense in which, yeah, God rules everything. He's in charge of all things. He's in control. Therefore, He's king in that way. But the kingdom of God, though, is something a little different than that. It's more than just the bare sovereignty of God. It's God's redemptive restoration of the entire creation. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is is His way of coming after His people to save them. That's what He's doing here. He comes after us and He makes us members of His kingdom. And He runs after us, this rebellious people who've turned from Him, who've hated Him, who've ignored Him, who've sought to turn our backs on Him. And He makes us part of His kingdom in our helpless and hopeless state. He rescues us from the foolishness of trying to be kings ourselves. He rescues us from our idolatry. He's going to rescue His people by establishing His kingdom. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's the way in which He goes about rescuing His people, making all things new, and restoring the world to what it's supposed to be. And as king, nothing can stop him from doing this. 
He has all authority to do this. He has all power to do this. That's what's significant about it. His purposes will be accomplished. There's nothing that can stop Him. He will save His people. He will make the world right. And He can do this because He's King. Nothing rivals His strength and His power and His authority. Well, as I said, this kingdom is the theme of Jesus preaching in His ministry. The kingdom is it. This is how Jesus proclaims the gospel. So he, he proclaims this gospel verbally. He talks about the kingdom and makes this proclamation. But then everything that he does points to it as well. He showed this message in a sense. He shows his power and his authority as king throughout his ministry. As he heals people of sickness, he shows his power. He casts out demons, again, showing that he's king. He corrects injustice by loving and caring for the poor and the social outcasts. So even in His miracles and everything that He's doing, Jesus is showing the kingdom. He's bringing the kingdom. Both His words and His actions show that. And as Mark's Gospel unfolds, you see more and more that Jesus almost becomes identified with the kingdom. It can be used interchangeably. Because Jesus brings the kingdom of God... You can identify Him with it in that way. The kingdom comes to us in the person of Jesus. It's His ministry that brings this kingdom into effect. And that's really what He means by saying that the kingdom is at hand, that it has come near. The kingdom has come near to us in Jesus. It's in the person of Jesus that we receive this. All of God's plans for redemption, for restoration, for making things right are found in Jesus. There's nowhere else to turn. This new age of fulfillment, this kingdom that they had so expected and looked forward to, is found in Christ. This new age of fulfillment and salvation has begun with Him. And this really helps us understand more of what this kingdom is. Why it's so different. If a kingdom is coming in a person, you already know there are going to be some things that are different in this kingdom. It's not like the kingdoms of this world. This kingdom has come in the person of Jesus. His entire ministry pointed to it. It was the inauguration of it. He reigns as king now. As he makes this announcement, Jesus is king. We sing in Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born a child and yet a king. And this adds a whole new facet to what we celebrated this past week that the incarnation was the birth of a king and the coming of a kingdom. Maybe not something that we think about all the time. So he reigns as king now. There's also this future element too. It's not here as it will be. It is here now. We get a real taste of this kingdom now in our own salvation, in our loving service of the king, in a transformed heart, in the possibility for real change. All those things are signs that the kingdom is here now. But there's also this element that will come later, that will be future. We don't experience the kingdom like we will when Christ returns fully and finally and the kingdom is revealed in all its glory. And that's again where we get that phrase, the already and the not yet. The kingdom is already here, but not yet like it will be. The kingdom is truly at hand. It is really here as Jesus says in the coming in his coming but it's not yet visible like it will be when Christ returns 
But there is this tremendous hope, though, that God will ultimately and completely restore His creation. And in that is this forgiveness of sins that is ours. We're made a part of this huge work of God by His Son. This rescue of His people will be accomplished. Well, if you look back to the text here, there are two parts to this sentence of Jesus' proclamation. He gives us first this declaration. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. But there's a second part here too. He doesn't stop just with this declaration. He follows it up with a command of how we're to respond to it. Here's what he's saying. Repent and believe in the gospel. Those are two commands. So what we have here is not just an academic lesson of God's plan of salvation. This isn't Jesus just throwing out this one statement and then just kind of saying, work that out. No, He says, He gives us this statement, but then He demands a response. This turning point in the story of God's redemption is not something that is abstract from us. It's not something that we can just discuss in theory. This is a story that involves you and it involves me. We're made a part of this bigger story here. Jesus calls us into this story here by commanding us to repent and believe. So yeah, this announcement was for the original audience for sure. But it's also an announcement for us. It's an announcement for us today that Jesus is speaking to you sitting there today to repent and believe in the gospel. Those are two commands. He commands this response. Repent and believe the gospel. We're to repent and believe. Why? Why is this necessary? Why would he say this in light of what he's just said? It's necessary because the king is present. Things aren't like what they used to be. Your old lifestyle will no longer do. The king is here now. Your old way of doing things won't work. The fact that the king has come and that he has inaugurated his kingdom changes everything. It means that our old way of life will no longer work. He's ushered in this kingdom, and that means we must change. There's a new reality now. And Jesus here is calling for something radical. This isn't just a surface level, you need to change a few things in your life here and there. He's calling for a complete forsaking of your old way of life. A complete turn from it. Because the King has come, everything is different now. Everything has changed. And it touches every part of your life. Every single part of it. Your life is no longer focused on you. The King has come, and as King, He demands allegiance. There's strong words that He's saying here. And it's not enough just to acknowledge this on some intellectual level. Say, yeah, I, I believe Jesus is King. You can't say that if it doesn't affect your life. If it's not something that affects every part of your life, then you haven't believed this. Because this is a message that encompasses all of you. This repentance that he calls for is a complete repentance. It's a radical reordering of your priorities, of your hopes, your aspirations, your daily plans. Everything that you do is affected by this. It's comprehensive in its scope. Jesus is calling us here to a life that's centered on the King. Repent of your old ways and believe this new message. And really, the gospel is really offensive on some level here. 
when you hear this kind of message, on one level, Jesus is saying, you were wrong. The way you've lived your life up to this point is wrong. You've rebelled against your Creator. You haven't lived in a way that you were created to. Your focus on yourself is wrong. That's a hard message. And that, that is an aspect of the Gospel. It's very offensive. But if you look at this from another angle, though, it's, it's glorious. Just as that call for repentance touches every part of our lives and commands this complete allegiance and obedience, so His grace and that transforming power of His kingdom reaches to all those places too. You're enabled to repent because of that grace, because of this same announcement that's so offensive. So there are, there are two sides to it. There's this judgment side and there's salvation in it as well. He calls us to this radical repentance, but He enables us to repent in that way by His grace. So this isn't something that you can just go out alone. It's something that you need of grace, something of Christ and Him alone. Because remember, this is good news that He's proclaiming here. This is that the King has come for you. This King that calls you to turn from your old way of life, to forsake your old way of living, and turn to Him as the same King that went to the cross to die for you. His love was so intense for you. He wanted you back so badly that He went to the cross and died for you and rose from the dead to conquer death. King who dies for you is one that you can follow. Huge, huge statement. That is good news. That is a good news. This allows us to believe this message as He calls us to, to trust the King, to have faith in Him. And this is, this is how we become a part of His glorious kingdom is by believing this message. It's completely of His grace. Paul says in Colossians 1 that the kingdom of the beloved Son is one in which we have forgiveness and redemption. The forgiveness is ours by this repentance and belief in the kingdom, in this gospel of the kingdom. And that's what he's calling us to. And, and I'll say again, it's interesting that it's a command, that we're commanded to do this. It's not something optional. Uh, it might sound odd to, to hear of a proclamation of the gospel being really an announcement. Most of the time, we probably think of it as an invitation. You can believe this if you'd like, but there's a way you can kind of say, I just kind of want to ignore that. This is a command. It's an announcement. Something we need to recognize about what Jesus is saying is that He's demanding an individual response. There's no wiggle room here at all. He's saying that the kingdom has really come. It's really here. That's a fact. That's the reality. And now you've got to deal with it. You have to respond in some way to it. You can't just ignore it. So it's more of a proclamation than it is an invitation. I think that's important for us to realize He's stating the fact that the kingdom is here and now we've got to respond in some way to that fact. So how is that different from an invitation? Well, I think there are at least three ways here that you can respond to an invitation. You can accept it. You can reject it. But there's a third option and that's just to ignore it. I'm going to ignore this invitation. That's nice. It may not be the most polite option, but that's what I'm going to do. Just ignore it. The gospel of the kingdom that Jesus gives us here 
is an announcement of something that has happened in history. It's a proclamation that the kingdom is at hand. And that demands a response. You can't just act like it didn't happen. It's changed everything. Everything is different now for this. You can repent and believe this message as Jesus calls us to, and you enjoy the glorious benefits of becoming a son of the living God. Or you can reject it and refuse to believe it. But you can't ignore it. To try and ignore it is to reject it. Let me try and illustrate this. My, uh, my family took a ski trip. It's probably been five or six years ago now over spring break. My brother decided that he was going to try and get a little sun on his face. So he decided not to wear sunscreen. You can imagine what happens. He's, uh, by the way, a little darker complected than me. He, he can get a tan, whereas I just burn. So it's maybe not as ridiculous as me saying that. But he's going to go ahead and, uh, and not wear sunblock. And after three days of skiing, his face was peeling, and it was almost completely blistered. It was hard to look at. We had to drive from, from Colorado back to Kansas City. He sat in the front seat with the, the chair back and a cold washcloth on his face the whole way. He told me the other day that he went to basketball practice after that, and just the sweat was some of the worst pain he's had to deal with. Okay, what does that have to do with anything that we're talking about? <laughs> Here's the point. Here's a statement of fact. Here's an announcement. You're going to get sunburn because the UV rays are much stronger up on the mountain. Plus, you have the sun reflecting up off the snow. That's a statement of fact. That's the way things are. Now, my brother tried to ignore that reality. It didn't work. Ignoring it did not work. It's the way things are. You have to respond to it. He felt the effects of it. And this is the situation that we have with the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is here. It came with Jesus and you must respond. That's what he's saying in verse 15. So the question is, how will you respond to this king? How will you respond to him? Will you try to ignore him? Will you set him on a shelf until he becomes convenient because his priorities happen to line up with your own priorities? At that point, you may acknowledge him as king. Or will you hear this announcement of the good news and repent and believe it and become a part of what God is doing in restoring his creation? Will you repent and believe it and become one of His children? Will you turn from the false hopes that you have for restoration, for healing, for justice, for happiness, for joy, for meaning, and believe this gospel of the kingdom? That's what He's calling us to do here. The King has come for you. He's come for this purpose. This King, King Jesus, calls you to repent and believe this good news of salvation and restoration. He calls you to be so taken by His kingdom that it changes everything else in your life, that it affects every part of you. Our priorities are changed. Our relationships are transformed. We ourselves are made new. That's what the kingdom does. And of course, at this point, you're thinking, why, why would you not want to believe that message? 
Why would you not want to believe that message? King Jesus is coming to save His people. He's coming to forgive sins and give them new lives as His royal subjects. That's what His message is to us today. This is the gospel of the kingdom. This is the gospel that we believe. That siren has sounded. How are you going to respond to it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for this message that is offensive to our pride, but yet so glorious because of Your grace to us. We thank You, Lord, that You are making all things new, that You have the authority to forgive sins, that You have paid for our sins by Your death, and that You have given us new life by Your resurrection. We thank You, Lord, for what that means to be a part of Your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that You would help us to more and more reorder our lives, attempt to to behold You, our King, in every aspect of our lives, that You would transform us more and more to be Your royal subjects. We thank You, Lord, that it is a work of Your grace in us and nothing that we can conjure up on our own. We give You all glory and praise. Pray in the name of the King. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of thy love. But the They are all